All right, well, it's good to see you all. Um, This morning, we are starting a four-week series that we're calling Living a Life of Discipleship, because we believe that the Great Commission that Jesus laid out for his disciples in Matthew 28, right, to, to go and make disciples of all nations, that's still the mission that he's leading us on today. Jesus has invited us to join him, to play a part in the work that he's doing in the world. And as Melanie Park Church, our mission is to make disciples who go and make disciples. We're committed to bringing glory to God by living as disciples who walk in obedience to his word by the power of his spirit. And when it comes to discipleship, it's important to understand that it's not primarily something that we do. It's not a curriculum we work through or a program we complete. Discipleship is simply a result of being with Jesus. It flows out of an abiding relationship with him. And it's more about who we are in him and desire to increasingly become than it is about something that we must do. In Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's as we follow Jesus, as we spend time with him in community with his other disciples, that he makes us more and more like himself. He changes us. He shapes us from the inside out and gives us all the resources that we need to be who he's called us to be and then do what he's called us to do. So over the next four weeks, the pastoral team here is going to walk us through what it looks like to live a life of discipleship together as Melanie Park Church in Lubbock, Texas in 2020. And we'll see that it at least involves a lifestyle of worship, which we'll look at today, in the context of community, as we follow Jesus together on his mission and are transformed along the way. So let's pray as we begin to walk through this together this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning. Give us eyes to see Jesus more clearly and open our hearts to respond, however you speak to us and however you invite us to respond. So Lord, speak through my voice today as we seek to hear your word, and Holy Spirit, would you do what you do, producing fruit in each of our hearts that multiplies beyond this place. So Lord, be with us this morning, speak to us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, I'll just confess up front, it's going to be a little more teachy than preachy. Uh, There's a lot that I want to walk us through this morning, but I think it'll be helpful, and I think it will serve us as a body. So if you can hang with us this morning, we're going to simply answer three questions. What is worship? Why corporate worship? How does singing help us? And then we'll close with some applications. Does that sound okay this morning? So first, what is worship? Well, it's much broader than church on Sunday and much broader than singing in church on Sunday, right? Biblically speaking, worship is a way of life. And it's something that everybody does. As human beings, we cannot not worship. We're continuously pouring ourselves out to whatever we view as most important, most valuable. We focus our attention and pour out our affection on that which we find most worthy. Worship is not something that starts and stops. We don't begin worship and end worship. We aim worship. And we're constantly aiming. 
even when we sin, we're still at worship. Our worship hasn't stopped. But the object of our worship has shifted direction. From God, the only one worthy of worship, to someone or something else. In Romans 1.25, Paul is talking about all of us apart from Christ who exchange the truth of God for lies and what? Worship and serve creation rather than the creator. Worship is not just a Christian thing. Worship is not just a religious thing. Worship is a human thing. Even the most godless person is pouring out the affection of his or her heart to whatever they view as most worthy in creation. Worship's an issue of love, and whatever we love most gets our worship. So generally speaking, big picture, everybody worships. And depending on the object of our aim, we're either worshiping God or an idol. There's no third option. But for those of us in here who are in Christ, we're invited into another realm of worship. We, by his grace, desire to focus our attention and pour out our affection on the true and living God. So for Christians, at any moment of our lives, we have the opportunity to exalt him, to encounter him, to receive from him, and respond to him. If you want a simple definition this morning, Christian worship is simply our response to God. It's our response to God for who he is and what he's done. We respond to his worthiness, who he is, and we respond to his work, what he's done. We receive from him, then respond to him. Receive, respond, receive, respond. That's the rhythm of worship. So this morning, turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll see this. It's page 126 in the New Testament if you're using the, the Bibles in the pew. Romans 12 verse 1 is an important text for understanding Christian worship. And here's what Paul says. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, other translations say, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Other translations say your spiritual act of worship. Paul is showing us here what Christian worship looks like. And before he tells us anything we need to do, he urges us to look back and see all that Christ has done. Right? He starts with the word, therefore. And if you know Romans, this is a pivot point in the whole flow of the book. Paul says, therefore, in light of Romans chapter 1 through 11, so look back. Romans chapter 11, 1 through 11, walks us through the heart of the gospel. That though we all have sinned, God has poured out his love lavishly toward us in Christ. Jesus lived perfectly and died sacrificially in our place to reconcile us to God. That's Romans 1 through 11. Then Romans uh, 12, therefore, in view of this mercy, Paul sums up all that he said so far in those words, God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, how do we respond? Well, Paul says we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the term living sacrifice is deliberately paradoxical, right? Paradoxical. Did I say that right? Because Paul knows, as we all know, that sacrifices are dead. 
So to say, present your bodies as a living dead thing is meant to get our attention. And here's what I think Paul is saying. He's saying that Christian worship in our everyday living is a process of continually dying. We die to our self-centered interests and our sinful passions as we offer ourselves wholly to God. In worship, Christians don't bring an offering. We are the offering. God, I am yours, wholly, completely yours. That's the heart behind Christian worship. I'm the offering. My life is the sacrifice. I am yours, God. I give it to you, offering it wholly, completely. Christian worship, it's important to know as well, is active. It's not passive. It's something that each one of us must do. No one else can present your whole self as a sacrifice to God. It's something we must do. But equally important is the fact that our action is a response to God's. Worship is not about us giving to God, because as Acts 17 says, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Worship is about us first receiving from God and then responding to God. Worship is a gift of God's grace to us long before it's our offering to God. So, Christians, in response to what God has done, in view of his mercy, we present ourselves completely, wholly, without reservation to God. That's, in short, worship. So why then, you might ask, corporate worship? Um, I don't know about you, but I'm plagued with like the three-year-old why syndrome. I just ask why about everything. I just, I'm not going to do something because it's something I've always done. I'm just going to ask why. Like, why am I doing this? What's so important about this? So if that's you, these next 15 minutes are for you. Why corporate worship? Can't we just worship God personally, individually, in our pajamas at home? Why do we need to come to church every Sunday to worship? Well, first I'd say that we don't gather on Sundays to worship, right? We gather to continue the worship that we've been each aiming throughout the week. The worship we've been aiming, we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to aim it collectively Godward. Secondly, though, turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, page 405 in the Pew Bible. We're going to see that God never intended for worship to be just about me and God. Worship involves our life together. Psalm 34, we'll look at verse 1 through 3. This is a verse we've been looking a lot at together as a worship leadership team this year, and I want to invite you into what we've been looking at. So notice the thrust of these verses, how it starts out personal and then flows out. Psalm 34, verse 1, I, personal, will bless the Lord at all times, right? We're always at worship. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul, so it's not just a mouth thing, it's a soul thing, a spiritual thing. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. And then it's overheard. The humble will hear it and rejoice. And then it turns personal to corporate. We invite others to join us. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
God intends for our personal worship to go public. Worship spreads. It invites. We draw people into that which we love. And something very significant happens when individual worshipers join corporately, especially, as Todd was mentioning earlier, in the context of the local church. But why? What makes this gathering at 1045 on Sunday each week so significant? Todd basically preached my sermon already this morning at the communion table, but um, there were three images this week that came to mind of what makes what we do here so important. The New Testament writers describe the church in, in three ways that I think have huge implications for how we view our corporate worship. So let's walk through these together. First, as Todd mentioned, in Ephesians 2, 1 Timothy 3, and other places, Paul describes the church as the household of God. God is our Father, we are His family, and over and over in uh, the New Testament, we're, de we're described as brothers and sisters. So as members of God's family, why do we meet together each week? I think it's for a family reunion, a celebration of our perfect Father, His glorious Son, and the wonderful work of adoption that has brought us all together. Some of you know the joys of family celebration really well. So me, I don't come from a large family. Uh, I only have one brother, and uh, my mom and dad are divorced, and on my mom's side, I only have one aunt and uncle and one living grandfather. Uh, but this past summer, my family and I, we got a chance to uh, go up to Connecticut, uh, where that side of the family is, and um, my brother and his family drove in from Ohio, and we had a family re reunion of sorts. My grandfather's 92, so it possibly was the last time that that side of the family was all together. And oh, how fun it was. You know, even in the midst of family dysfunction, because every family's dysfunctional, right? Even in the midst of my family's dysfunction, we had good food and great abundance. Great stories were shared of wonderful memories. Laughter, gratefulness, joy characterized the time that we had together. And that, in part, is what the gathering of God's family is to be like every Sunday. We feast together on the food of God's word which is laid out for us in abundance. Through the songs that we sing, the sermons that we hear, communion, prayer, we savor God's word together. We share it. We pass the plate to one another. And we enjoy the feast together. And as we feast, we tell stories, right, around the table, stories of the ultimate story of the gospel, what God has done, our Father has done for us. And we share individual stories, testimonies of transformation, and through these stories, we remind one another of who we are and who we belong to, that we're no longer aliens and strangers, but are adopted sons and daughters of God our Father. And as we feast and remember, we rejoice together in all that God is and all that he's done. We honor our Father. We celebrate the Son who, by the Spirit, has brought this family into existence. We come together because of him. And in him, we find our identity as his household. But that's just one of the reasons we gather, to celebrate as family. Here's another picture for you. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says that we are the temple of the living God. Todd referenced this as well. It says that God says that he dwells among us and walks among us. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 16 do you not know that you, this is a you all, or a y'all, as I guess you would say down here. 
Y'all are a temple of God. And collectively, the Spirit of God dwells in us. In Ephesians 2.22, in Christ, the chief cornerstone, you two are being built together into a dwelling of God by His Spirit. So we, as members of the church, are the temple of God in which the Spirit of God dwells. Think about this. In us together, God is dwelling here and now on this earth. And He walks among us. And when we gather together as His temple, His presence is, his presence is here in a very unique way. A way that can't be experienced individually when we're apart. This is amazing. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt among his people in buildings, right? First, there was the tabernacle as they were wandering, then the temple which was built once they settled. You had to go to a place to encounter the presence. Today, today though, because of the once and for all work of Christ, God no longer dwells in physical buildings, but he does dwell in a people he is building, in us, the church. So when we gather in this room each week in his name, the presence of the very God of the universe is here. And if we were to gather elsewhere, if we did a service outside or in another building, he would be with us, in us, working through us there as well. Because we are the temple of the Spirit of God. Now I was thinking, it's kind of like a pop-up restaurant. Does anyone know what a pop-up restaurant is? Um, I'm not wealthy enough nor cultured enough to have been to one of these, but my understanding from the show MasterChef, which my wife and I enjoy watching, is that a pop-up restaurant is a restaurant that you find a beautiful countryside, you find an open, uh, trendy facility, and you bring the restaurant to the place. You set up the restaurant right there on the open hillside in California in the trendy building downtown New York, Kitchen utilities are brought in, tables are set up, and people come from all over to experience a restaurant that is only there when it's there. Come back tomorrow and it's just a hillside or an empty building, but gather at the right time and dine away. The same is kind of true of the church. If you come here tomorrow, this is just a building, but gather here at 1045 next Sunday and experience the presence of the living God as his temple joins together. When God's people gather, God is uniquely present. And if you want to experience God's presence, the nearest possible way is to gather with the local church. Of course, God's omnipresent, right? His presence is everywhere at once. Of course, God indwells the believer individually. But there's a unique experience of God's presence in the gathering of the local church that cannot be replicated. So when we meet, we can expect him to be in us, with us, among us. Every, uh, even this morning, God is here doing what he does. He's speaking, he's healing, he's comforting, convicting, strengthening, renewing, restoring. The list could go on. And more often than, more often than not, God does his work through his people. And this is where the third image comes into play. So we as members of the church are not just the family of God, not just the temple of the Spirit, but we are, as you could probably guess, the body of Christ. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and other places. And as individual members of his body, when we gather, we each have a part to play. 
Every one of us are to use the gifts we've been given to serve and support one another as we work together for the health and growth of this body as a whole. You know, in the church, there are no non-gifted, dispensable people. Everyone participates. My role, Todd's role, is no different than your role. Just as there is no body part that we'd be happy to lose on our physical body, there is no one in the church who doesn't have a part to play. God didn't design the local church to be a group of spectators watching others perform. Everyone is needed. Whether you're on stage, in the pew, or serving somewhere else at 1045, each one of us have a part to play in the building up of the body, both when we gather in here on Sunday and when we scatter out there throughout the week. Hebrews 10.25, you don't need to turn there, but you're certainly welcome to if you want. Hebrews 10.25 exhorts us to not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. But, but notice the thrust of the meeting together in that verse. We don't meet together to worship, or do we? In the New Testament, corporate worship and edification are two sides of the same coin. When the church gathers, there's a vertical focus on exalting God and a horizontal dimension on edifying and encouraging one another. You know, nowhere in the New Testament is a gathering of Christians referred to as a worship service. It's called an assembly or a meeting or a time of edification for sure, but never worship. And it seems to me that this is emphasizing the point that there's no opposition between worshiping God and loving one another. That's the great commandment, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when God's people meet together, God intends for us to love one another as we build each other up in Him. One of the most important ways we worship God every Sunday, I need you to hear this, one of the most important ways we worship God every Sunday is by edifying one another. As we receive from Him and respond to Him, we love, serve, and encourage each other. So, so why corporate worship? Well, these images help us. We as the church are members of God's household. So we gather each week to celebrate, to feast, remember, and rejoice. We're the temple of God's Spirit in which the very presence of God dwells. And we're the body of Christ, each with a part to play in our life of worship and discipleship. This Sunday gathering, what we do in here, is significant. We cannot give up meeting together, as many, especially in our day, are in the habit of doing. All right, so how does singing help us? Third question. What is worship? Why corporate worship? How does singing help us? And why is singing such a big deal in the church? You know, if you're a new, new Christian, this might be weird to you. Um, where else do large groups of people gather together and stand and sing? Other than the seventh inning of a baseball game or an occasional birthday party, large groups of people usually don't gather and sing together. But we do it every Sunday when we meet, and we do it for a long time, don't we? Five or six songs. I know some of you do not like the length of our singing. And that's okay, because we're going to love and serve you through it. 
So why do we sing and why so much of it? Well, the first reason is that God commands it, right? In the Bible, there's hundreds of references to singing and at least 37 direct commands to sing to God. Christians, past, present, read Revelation, future, sing. And it's not so, matter, not so much a matter of do I have a voice as it is do I have a song. And if you're a Christian, if you've been redeemed and restored by the true and living God, you certainly have a song to sing, a song of salvation and praise. But here's what I want to focus on today. Not the fact that God commands it. Here's what I want to focus on. This is my thesis statement, if you will. Singing simultaneously combines personal and corporate, vertical and horizontal, internal and external aspects of worship, and it helps us receive from and respond to God. So long thesis statement. You probably docked me some points for that, but let me say it again. Singing simultaneously combines personal and corporate aspects of worship. So I sing as we sing. It combines vertical and horizontal aspects of worship. We sing to God as we sing to one another and internal and external aspects of worship. Singing engages our minds, emotions, and our bodies. So turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. It's page 158 in the Pew Bible. If you read the Old Testament, there's a lot about singing. If you read the New Testament, there's not a lot about singing. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, which, which we'll look at momentarily, are two of the uh, prominent passages on what Christians do when they gather together. And both of these happen to address singing. That's why I'm sharing it with you this morning. So Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Again, this is a you all. It's a corporate. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. So each one of us personally are responsible for teaching another. And the way we do this is through singing, as he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So flip back to Ephesians 5, we'll see very, sim very similar themes here. One focuses on the Word of Christ, the other focuses on the Spirit of God, Spirit and truth, both together. Ephesians 5, we'll pick it up in the back half of verse 18, it says, be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, addressing one another. So this is the horizontal aspect, right? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. That's the vertical aspect with your heart. So that's the internal aspect, whereas singing is the external. So do you see it in, in these passages? Personal, corporate, vertical, horizontal, internal, external. Christian singing combines all these aspects of worship simultaneously as it helps us receive from and respond to God. So let me, as we begin to, to close, let me sum all of this up in three points and share with you some convictions that I have as your worship pastor. 
So three points. First, singing helps us receive from God. So to the degree that the songs that we sing are filled with truth from God's word, to that degree is God speaking to us. So here at Melanie Park, we work very hard to ensure that the songs that we sing are just saturated in biblical truth. This is very important, especially in our day where a lot of Christian music has little if nothing to do with Christ. And it's my commitment to you that the songs we sing here in corporate worship will be biblically sound, not theologically weak or vague. They'll be God-centered, not man-centered, and gospel-saturated, explicitly stating truth of what God's done for us in Christ. In fact, we take this so seriously that we have a song selection team of 20-plus people who every month are evaluating three songs for use in corporate worship here. You know, I filter through songs as y'all give request songs to me. They go into what I call the, the song pool. And every month I pull out three songs from the pool that are similar in style, similar in theme, put them together in an email, send it out to this team, and the team prayerfully takes time to listen to the songs, reflect on the songs, and through a list of 14 criteria, determine what would be the best fitting song for us to sing together in corporate worship. You know, this past year, this, this team evaluated 39 songs, and we introduced a little more than one a month. I'm thankful for this team because it allows me to serve you better. If I was to select songs just based upon my own preference and my 36-year-old style, you'd be getting Brian's preference. But I figure if we're leading corporate worship, why not select songs corporately, together as a team? So this is one way that we serve you. We want the best songs sung in our gatherings together. Songs soaked with biblical truth, God-centered, gospel-saturated. And the song selection team helps me serve you in that way. It's so important that we sing biblical truth because the fact is that we remember what we sing, right? A, B, C, D, E, F. I don't teach that song to my daughter going A, B, C. No, it's C, D, E. Come on. We sing it. <laughs> and when we sing it, we remember it. Who in elementary school learned the 50 nifty United States? Or when we want to learn truth, we put it to music. When words are given melody, rhythm, and rhyme, the human mind soaks it in. Somehow in God's wonderful gift of music to us, the marriage of lyrics and melody brand words into our brains. So if we want to remember God's truth, we must sing God's word. So singing helps us receive from God. But secondly, singing helps us respond more fully to God. Singing helps us, as Jesus says in Mark 12, 30, to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. Singing is an emotional, spiritual, intellectual, physical activity. So think about it. Even this morning, we stood up physical. Our eyes saw truth on the screen. Our eyes heard it as we sung to one another. Our ears heard it as we sung to one another. Our minds processed it and thought about it. Our hearts felt it and were moved by it. 
our mouths voiced it, and our bodies moved along with it. Singing helps us respond on multiple levels at once. It's a whole body, holistic activity. So when we sing together each week, the invitation is to worship, right? To present your whole self, wholly, completely, every facet of your being to God. And singing helps us do that. Heart, soul, mind, strength, every part of who you are actively engaged at once through the act of singing. And just so we're clear, different churches worship in different ways, right? Some are very stoic, seemingly unmoved. Others are what I would call charismaniac, right? Seemingly out of control. What we're going for here at Melanie Park is a biblical balance, right? Spirit and truth. Heart and head. We believe that true worship involves an emotional response but it's an emotional response to biblical truth. Deep thinking and deep feeling, accompanied by helpful and humble physical expressions. That's what we're after. You know, as one pastor has said, strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Another has said, worship of God always involves the emotions. How can we praise a holy God who has redeemed us without getting emotional about it? But what should move our emotions is not the deep tones of the organ or the loud beat of the drum, but the mind's apprehension of truth about God. So Melanie Park family, we we need not fear emotion in worship. We're going to stay away from emotionalism, which I describe as emotional response to emotion. You're just emoting and you don't know why. We desire biblically rooted emotion, emotional response to truth. So singing not only helps us respond more holistically, fully to God, but here's the third point. Singing allows us to respond to God together. Singing unites us. Together, every Sunday, in one voice, regardless of your background, experience, or preference, singing brings us all together centered on Jesus, receiving from God, responding to God, as we simultaneously love, serve, teach, and build up one another through the songs that we sing. So what a gift corporate singing is to us. That's why we do it every week, and that's why we do so much of it. So family, let's be mindful that in our times together, we're not just singing to God, we're singing to one another, right? You are teaching me truth from God's word as I'm singing that same truth back to you. Every one of us in here is important. We have a role to play. We're all teachers when we gather together. So let's seek to serve one another and never be so caught up in worship that we become oblivious of other people, right? We've all been around those people. They're just caught up in worship. They're whacking you with their arm. They're jumping up and down. They're distracting. Yet at the same time, let's be mindful that the way that you worship and respond to God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength might actually be used by God to encourage and build up someone else. I've heard many times people come up to me and just sitting in the front row, they're like, do you hear how loud this congregation is singing? 
I challenge you, next week, sit up front. You will be flooded by a wave of loud, worshipful response. I love that this, this family sings so loudly and so well. And just a quick story, uh, twice over the past few months, um, I was talking to someone after the service, and, and I just went up to them and thanked them for leading worship from the pew that morning. You know, on both of those occasions, there were two different Sundays, maybe a month or so apart. My affections for the Lord were just cold. My mind was distracted. I was just up here leading because that's part of my current role. But on both of these mornings, as I looked out and saw these two individuals just responding to the Lord, my heart was warm. I was reminded of who I am and who I belong to. I was encouraged to fight through my apathy and engage in biblical response. Deep thinking, deep feeling, true worship. And honestly, if it wasn't for these two people, I probably wouldn't have been able to respond to God and worship that morning. I was just cold. I was distracted. And as these people began directing their worship to the Lord, I was being loved and served and built up. So thank you. So thank you. So personal and corporate aspects of worship, vertical, horizontal aspects of worship, heart, mind, strength, soul, aspects of worship, receiving from God, responding to God, all this can happen simultaneously as we sing together as Christians each Sunday. And, and that's no small thing. So in closing, uh, what are some ways we can continue to grow in our worship of God and building one another up each Sunday when we meet? Three things in application, then we'll sing one last song and call it a day. Number one, every week, let's gather in eager expectation to meet with God. Let's believe that he's here and let's expect him to speak to us, to refresh us, to encourage us, to transform us. Even this morning, God is here. So let's receive from him and respond to him in eager expectation. I challenge you, don't just come on Sunday because that's something you've always done or you just have to. Come because God is here in the gathering of his people. So come in eager expectation. Second, come as an active participant, not a passive observer. As we said earlier, only you can worship God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And only you can play the part that you have in the body of Christ. So come each week to play your part and play it well. Two practical things that might help you do this. Um, first thing, do your best to be in here on time. At 1045. We start our time at 1045. Right? Let's leave this whole Melanie Park time thing behind us. <laughs> if it's true that God is here in the gathering of his people, we should want to be here on time. Now, I know there's circumstances, dropping kids off, catching up with people in the hallway, but family, if you're like me and tend to run late, tell yourself that the service starts at 1040. That might help. Get here before the meeting starts, and as so many of you do, stay after the meeting ends. There are so many opportunities to encourage and build one another up before the meeting, during the meeting, 
after the meeting. And you know, the singing that we do on the front end is not intro to the sermon. It's not filler before we get to the real worship time. Every part of what we do in our time together matters. The singing, the greeting, it all is important. It's all important. So do all you can to be here on time. Again, there's grace, right? But let's aim to be here early and stay here late. In addition, active participation might require you to prepare ahead of time, right? As I said earlier, we're introducing about one new song a month, so some of the songs that we sing you might not know. So I know about 50 of you in here are on an email that you get every Wednesday that lays out for you what the sermon text will be, what the songs uh, will be that we'll be singing together. And many of you are listening, I know, throughout the week, either on YouTube or Spotify, and you're learning the new songs that you don't yet know. If that's something that would help you, if that would serve you and help you prepare for participation, uh, talk to me after, send me an email. We'll get you on that list so that you're aware of the songs that we're singing and the sermon text that we'll be preaching. And maybe even preparing in the car ride driving here. You know, maybe sing or pray or talk with your family about what you're looking forward to or think about the people that you're probably going to see. Let's be preparing ahead of time as we gather as God's people. So eager expectation, active participation. Finally, just be here as often as you can, right? Don't give up meeting together as so many are in the habit of doing. What we do in here on Sunday is really important for your life as a disciple of Jesus. It's not all you have to do. We're going to see next week that there's other contexts where discipleship happens. But this is an important part of our walk with Jesus as his family together. So one last opportunity I want to, want to make you aware of. On Sunday evening, January 26th, at the end of this four-week discipleship series that we're doing, uh, we're going to be having a worship and prayer night together. And we'll probably have some baptisms too. So more information will follow, but please join us that evening. This will be an extended opportunity outside of this Sunday meeting for us as a church to receive from God and respond to him, right? It'll be a, a Sunday evening pop-up temple, if you will, a family celebration. We'll gather outside of our normal time, but in our normal place to engage with God, to encourage and build one another up together. So family, thank you for this morning. Um, I pray that we continue growing together as his family, his body, his temple. Uh, let's stand together. We're going to have the band come up and sing one more song. I know we're running a little late. But this last song I think is important. It's a song that says, worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. So family, let's offer ourselves wholly, completely to God this morning as a living sacrifice as we sing to him and sing to one another.